You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today we're going to uh, take a, um, uh, gosh, I don't know what I want to call it, a hard look at an interesting angle. We're going to talk about what it takes to have a fighter pilot mindset in running your business. My guest is himself a successful and ongoing flight instructor. His name is Dominique Tyke. And Dominique, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Doug. I am uh, grateful for you uh, giving me the opportunity to share some lessons. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I, I'm likewise interested in in your spin on things, and um, I I have, I guess, uh, I'll, I'll confess a form of male envy. I'm a wannabe pilot. I've got a private license, but I don't fly like I used to, and I've definitely never. Um, gotten past a single engine prop job. So, uh, I'm sure there's quite a bit of difference in the, uh, in the magnitude and the significance of things you got to learn to do what you do. But, uh, so as we get into that, tell everybody a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I grew up kind of, uh, out in the country, um, man, bunch of different types of schooling, whether that was private schooling, private tutoring, homeschooling, public schooling, um, anything from, you know, public college to private college to, you know, going from there and getting some degrees that I don't really even know what I do with them now uh, that I run businesses. I'm sure it helps at some point. Um, You know, we had a family traveling band, um, downhill skiing, you name it. I liked outdoor sports, really got the, the itch to fly airplanes at a young age. Uh, and that, that really took off at 16, I started flying, uh, airplanes. And at 18, I was a civilian flight instructor, which was really cool to be able to do that and, uh, go to college at the same time. So get paid to, um, you know, put my working competencies to, uh, to work for me there and, and, and make a little bit more money doing that. Um, I also, I applied to the airline. So I was pursuing an airline job as well as the, uh, a commission in one of the military services. I tried the Navy, um, but fell out of bed in the morning and, uh, my car wouldn't start. And I figured that was a sign. So then I, I pursued the air force, which was a much better fit for me. And after, uh, three different, um, application processes was, I'm given an interview and I went through officer training and then competed to, uh, be a fighter pilot and the rest is history got selected for this, the various upgrades and eventually found myself, um, teaching fighter pilots. I now teach in the, the F 16 schoolhouse here in Phoenix, Arizona. So I'm a, a full-time reservist, um, teaching mostly young guys, how to fly the jets, but we do get requalification students through here. So there's, um, pretty experienced guys coming back to get requalified. And then that kind of, um, led me down the road of, of a starting you know, I grew up with my dad owning real estate and stuff like that. So starting my own real estate um, company where um, pilots essentially can passively invest in apartment communities and writing books and starting more businesses and just, uh, yeah, just going from there. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, obviously, thank you for your service helping do that and helping continue to train and equip our modern day military, uh, such an important part of our fabric as a com- uh, country. 
Um, what do you think was it about flying that attracted you in the first place? I think that, um, just kind of probably like business ownership is it's a very difficult thing to do even. And I know that you, you, you're, you're selling yourself short, getting your private pilot license, but even that is a, it's a difficult thing to do. I mean, those little airplanes, they're, they're not easy to fly. And there's, there's enough information that you have to learn. You, you cannot get rated as a private pilot, you know, a private pilot nowadays without putting the time, effort, energy in, and it's not cheap either. So, um, I think that business ownership is very, it's very challenging. Um, it's always changing and you can always find yourself behind, uh, the next person and, and flying is the same thing. I, especially in the career field that I'm in as a fighter pilot, um, it's incredibly challenging. Um, very rarely am I the, the best pilot in the room. Um, and I would say looking back, I'm probably, uh, I'm usually not ever the best pilot in the room. So there's always somebody better than me. There's always somebody, uh, more knowledgeable and, um, you know, it's given me a lot of, of opportunities to learn and apply those lessons either to business, to life. And I would say most of the time I fail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really what, yeah. it, really what it taught me. Well, I, I, I will agree with you on that. Uh, the, uh, you know, I, I made light of the private pilot compared to a jet fighter for sure, but you're right. I mean, the level of training and the, the commitment to learning and practice and um, I have reflected, and I've actually written articles about this, that one of the great things I took away from my own flight school experience and flying, I, and I think I'm sitting on about 500 hours of, of wow. actual flight time, which I don't think is a lot by many standards. It's, I mean, it's a good number, but anyway... What I um, uh, what I discovered the the first time I had what was anything close to a, a emergency type situation, I just felt the training kick in. I, I didn't even really think about panic or fear or uh, you know anything emotional. It was just almost a mechanical activation of the training that I had had, which made the incident. A non-event, and um, I I did have two other, you know, minor challenges up in the air, and uh, you know, it, again, it was the quality and and consistency of the training that prevailed, and to me, that was a life lesson to to really uh, embrace. And I'll say that to business owners, if if you're out there trying to get some schooling to help enforce or grow and scale your business, uh, you know, embrace the training. I mean, do the exercises, do the work, allow that to take root inside your head and in your heart. And then when challenges come, you're going to have a much better uh, response, not reaction to, to what's going on. Yeah. I, I, uh, I agree with that. I think the the training you bring up a good, piece is that we're moving our, we're moving the, the thinking part of our brain, like the, the front part of our head where it's, you know, very, um, rote memory. And what we want to do is we want to move that information into our, um, our, our working memory or our, um, what would they say? Your, uh, the, the memory that is more, like you said, reactionary in nature. And, and this isn't a, I'm not asking people to go read this book, but after my second deployment, 
and, you know, being all around the world on these, these trips, you know, and, and dealing with the enemy and training and training with other countries and integrating on deployments. Um, you know, I had some stuff to work through in my own mind because getting shelled and, and also killing people tends to do something to the human conscious. But, um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, he's an army guy. He wrote a book called on killing. And what he talked about in that book is that the military, you know, has done a very good job of training and setting up those skills that are basic so that when you are faced with those life-altering events, your, um, your brain is already trained to not really think about it, but to react. And the syllabus and the checklist and all of the different blocking and tackling those basics, they're there. And that way, when, you know, nowadays, um, and this is its own argument, whether or not, you know, video games and stuff like that are brainwashing our kids to, to shoot and kill people. But there's a lot of the same type of training happens where your, your brain sees something, the stimulus is there and you make a reactionary response and the same thing. And, and that there can be bad and there can also be good from that. The good from it, from a, a business standpoint, is that as a, as a pilot, you know, we are very checklist oriented. We're very uh, you know, especially at 800 plus miles an hour in a fighter jet, I need to know what I need to do right now. And so if I misprioritize my tasks, even though I get everything done, I might hit the ground. So same thing goes within business. It's kind of the thing we talk about when we're flying a low level at 300 feet above the ground and, you know, 600 plus miles an hour is near rocks and far rocks. So what are the near rocks that are going to kill me right now? And then once I've got that under control, I need to start thinking about those things that are going to maybe bite me, you know, a couple, a couple seconds down the road. And, yeah. and, and that's very <laughs> applicable to business life of just going, Hey, um, as I make my plan, I plan enough to get going. And then as I'm executing, I'm just looking at my plan and revisiting that. And at the end of the day, I'm debriefing. So that plan execute debrief construct, um, it has worked wonders uh, you know, in business and granted, it's always a struggle. You're always gritting it out, but, um, you know, eventually if you, if you follow that construct and you follow kind of a checklist, uh, oriented business life, I've found that it really starts to pick, pick up steam after that first year, which is definitely the, the, the most turbulent. Um, yeah. and I don't know what you, what you think of that, but the first year for me and any of the businesses that I've had, have just been just a, a kick to the kick to the face. Yeah. Well, yeah, anybody that's in the startup mode definitely has things flying at them fast and furious. And uh, I'm going to apologize in advance for anything that starts to sound like puns about flying, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, things that come at you in that startup phase, it, it is. It's, it, you know, in the best case, it's a controlled chaos. Yep. And I, I even often think about uh, I, I do think it was Eisenhower that talked about planning and said that, you know, for all the work you do on planning, the plan goes out the window when the first bullet is fired. And in a combat sense, that's often what happens. However, having done the plan, you've got a much better, and, and it kind of goes back to what we were just saying about training. If you've got that that sort of direction and vision locked in, you can act and react as uh, unknown events come at you. And hopefully you can react better 
in a more positive way because you did do the plan, you did do the training, you did do the preparation. It may not be exactly what you planned for, but by having had the planning, you, you've got a good idea what you want to do. Yep. And then the, the addition to that is in your plan, you need to throw, you need to throw, you need to have that person. And and usually I am not that person. So I think knowing, knowing your working competencies, knowing your working genius, knowing yourself um, is also important because there are, there are people that I go to and say, Hey, poke holes in my plan. So I need, show me all the different contingencies. This is, you know, and, and you'll find those people. And in our, in our case, like as a fighter pilot, we'll have a mission planning cell. So the, the flight leads will show up, the instructor pilots will show up and we'll start putting this plan together. And if you know yourself, I know my Achilles heel is that I, I can, I can come up with a few contingencies, but that's not my working genius. So you need to know that about yourself and go, Hey, who, who is the, who's the Johnny rain cloud in your, in your life that can say that's a bad idea or, and then be able to explain why. And I think that a lot of the fighter pilots that are good on their feet. Yeah. They maybe grew up playing sports and riding dirt bikes and shooting guns. And they did fairly well in the academic arena, but the ones that can, that seem like they're good on their feet are the ones that have thought through and internally kind of processed those contingencies that might happen and what seems reactionary in nature and just go, oh, that guy's gifted. It's like, well, there's a good chance that yes, there's maybe some gift along with that, but maybe he had that built into his plan. Um, and that's another piece that that I know that was not, you know, cause you, you meet those people that put their plan together and they're so rigid in their plan. And when stuff goes off the tracks, it, it turns into this, this train wreck. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, well, dude, you didn't, you, you weren't debriefing yourself as you were executing and saying, is this even working at all? Because maybe you just need to flush your plan down and start over. Yeah. Um, but I found that, that, that contingency planning, um, you know, at least as a fighter pilot has been something that is, you know, well, what, if we do this, then, then what, and then, well, what if, what if this happens, right? It's that, what if, um, you know, that time toilet is what I call it, where you're just flushing time down the drain. But a lot of times you need to have those discussions to figure out, Hey, if this thing derails, do, do we put the train back on the track or do we just let it crash and come up with a new plan? Yeah. Yeah. All good points. I want to go back to your comment about the near rocks and the far rocks. I, uh, that word is actually popularly used by Gino Wickman in his book traction, where he, explains what he calls the entrepreneur operating system and it's a it's a program in a book that's been you know widely received and with with great fanfare in in a lot of entrepreneurial communities and you know there's a whole cottage industry of people that are certified eos implementers um, for legal reasons i'm going to disclose i am not one and so uh uh, but I but I do happen to be a fan of the methodologies. And one of the things Wickman talks about in his book is this idea for business owners, you've got to identify those rocks. And there's always inevitably some big boulders that have to get moved. And to use your word, near term, there's some big boulders in your way right now. And that needs to be your priority items. You know, going back to the time equation, it's it's easy to let the seconds in the day tick away without ever lifting one of those big rocks and moving it toward completion. 
And the things you identify as big rocks need work, effort, and focus applied to move them ahead or get them out of the way. And when you're done with those near rocks, guess what? You're going to have some far rocks. And as time goes on, they're going to get closer and closer. So they become your hot topic, hot priority items to, to look at. And I find a lot of business owners don't necessarily think about their business in those terms. Huh. Yeah, I think um, those are all and and as you as you were saying that those far rocks, how do you how do you identify those if you are always, you know, I I, I like to talk about the achievement hamster wheel where you're just you're in this they're in this wheel and you're just running. Every day you're just at a full sprint and you're getting a lot of stuff done but there isn't a lot of clarity. And the more that you do that, the more that you, you run out of gas and you, you risk flaming out and, or you lose your way and you're just doing a lot of stuff. And, and that happen that'll start to creep up on me. It doesn't, it doesn't really lead to crashes anymore. That used to happen to me quite a bit where I would just start sprinting like an ener you know, energizer bunny through the day. And then eventually I would start to get kind of burnt out and then I would lose my way. And those, far rocks became the near rocks and they were just, they were just rolling over me every single day. So I think, um, this is an oversimplification of this concept, but I started going to bed a little bit earlier, which meant that I didn't drink a beer and have a bag of chips and watch a Netflix show. I started waking up earlier and there was even a point where I was waking up at three 45 to, and I, and I wasn't a morning person. I trained myself to be one, but I was waking up early so that I could get a few hours of work done on my businesses before I went in and did the fighter pilot job. And I also had kids that woke up early. So that helped me get out in front of those. Uh, so to fix those near rocks, but then push them out of the way and go, okay, what's going to roll over me here next month. Um, and again, maybe oversimplification. I tried initially to sit still and either, you know, sit in silence or meditate or pray or whatever to get my mind right at the beginning of every day. And 15 minutes was an eternity to me. So I, I call it my five minute rule every morning for five minutes, I choose and, and it seems like the worst use of time. However, it is always beneficial to my day because in those five minutes, I kind of just, I kind of ground myself and, and formulate, okay, what's my intentionality today? Where, where is today going? So that as I make that plan up front, as I'm executing my day, I can then debrief myself at the end of the day and go, yes, I knocked over that one domino that I, I needed to do or, well, nope, it's this today sucked. And I have to debrief myself that I, I didn't nail it and I, I got to start over. And so then I can tweak my plan the next morning. And that a lot of times, at least when I was starting out, did not exist. I didn't have a framework or even that's a very simple construct that's super beneficial to owning businesses and just to running your life is entering your day with some sort of intentionality. Because if you don't, you'll walk into work or you'll start your business and people will hand you all of their problems. Um, and so that was kind of another thing is you roll out of bed in the morning. If you expect that there's problems in the day and that you're just going to tackle them as they arise, your, your mindset is, is more aligned to owning a business. But if you just go, I want a peaceful day. And I just, I just want some peace for one. Well, you're going to be hit, hit in the face, you know, all day long. And those rocks are going to roll over you. 
Well, you just said the magic word. My my clients will echo and tell you one of my favorite words that I instill in everybody is intentionality. You know, being intentional about what you do and and these specific detail that I get into with folks is when you look at famous business leaders like an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos. And, you know, I realize there's, they've got their detractors, people love them or hate them, you know, depending on which (laughs) side of the issue you want to sit on. But the point is they get a lot of crap done and, um, you know, what's different about them from you and I, because we all each still have the same number of seconds in the day. And when they get out of bed in the morning, what are they intentional about? And, and they've identified those big rock things they want to do. And they become very intentional about next steps to, to work those rocks and move those things and move those mountains and um, that's what makes them different. But um, you and I have the same number of seconds in the day, as does any of my clients. And it's, I, I like what you said. It's so easy to get caught up in the quagmire of, of the day, just putting out this little fire here, answering that call, dealing with that customer complaint, um, tweaking some little thing. But if no effort is applied to the bigger movement of your company forward to the next level, you're just treading water. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of looking at the founder to CEO jump um, that, you know, that you talk about a lot and that's very important in, in the business world um, early on in business, you know, I'm, if you're starting your own thing and you're an action taker and you're, you know, if, if you like to be in control of things, there's this tendency to control everything and not let let the leash out. And you'll know those people on your team um, that just bring you problems consistently, but they don't have any solutions to those problems. And and that can be a trained thing. And, and honestly, a lot of times I think I was hindering their ability to control what they needed to do. And so the day that, you know, and it, and it took me a little while, um, but then after maybe having a working relationship that was was growing with whatever person was on my team, whether that was the property manager or the foreman or the, you know, the contractor and just going, hey, this is a big problem. I've got a lot on my plate today. I need you to formulate the game plan, present that to me. I'll poke holes in it and or just say that's good enough, run with it and just letting it go. And then I can get back to my intentionality that day. Those big rocks that that I'm good at removing versus I'll take care of it and I'll make every single decision in the business. And that that's a huge piece. But then this, the second piece of that, what I've found is that as you become a business owner, you're going to want to start another business and you're going to want to start another business. And as you do that and you get more and more stuff going on, there's all these good ideas and they are, they're great ideas for me. What I've learned in just the past two or three years, I need to figure out what to say no to. And that's 99% of the stuff I need to say no to because in the morning in that sacred five minutes, you know, I'm, I'm getting my mindset, right. I'm doing all that stuff, but I'm going, what is the big rock that's right in front of me that I'm going to be the best to, to either remove, to push out of the way or to chisel into this perfect brick that I can build, you know, my pyramid with. Um, 
so I think that was kind of a big thing for me is that I have all these great ideas, right? Because if you're a founder, you have, you're an idea person and maybe yeah. you're not an inventor because I'm not, but I have ideas to start things up. I've got the juice to get them going off the ground, but then it's like, well, I can't do everything. So who around me, where, where on my team, uh, what's my Achilles heel? And then who can I trust to kind of give them enough you know, juice to kind of keep them going and running. And then all I'm doing is just overseeing the project. I'm not, you know, hands, hands in every single little aspect of the business. And that's okay. I think if you are that way a little bit, but you need to have a plan to start going, okay, you, you're the person that runs this. This is a problem. I need you to, you know, give me your solution to this, come back to me and then we'll, we'll work on that and then move on to the next thing. But mostly for me, it's been, okay, what do I need to stop doing? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so very important. And I think anybody that has the true entrepreneurial spirit, you're spot on. One thing, one idea is not going to be enough. They're they're <laughs> going to find ways to uh, branch out and do other things. I've got a client right now. I've been working with him about a year and a half, and we've already been able to 2x his primary business that that he he had when I first started with him. And about six months ago, he acquired another business that fundamentally had nothing to do with his primary business other than it was there was a marketing connection between the two entities, mm. and um, it was a it was a complementary business for him to take over, and and the owner of the second business was wanting to retire and get out, so he was ready to offloaded. And, um, you know, when my client came to me, he said, you know, I'm thinking about buying this other business. And we had a really heart to heart discussion about, are you sure, you know, you, you just got your other business sort of stabilized and organized and, and rocking in the right way such that it did two X itself. Um, but are you really ready? And and the long story short was yes, he he was ready, and he had he had made some of his own mental shifts on intentionality and timing and planning of the day and that sort of thing. So he had he had created some bandwidth in his own day. Uh, How long did it take him to go from um, the idea to then re realizing through whatever process coaching from you? How long was that? Was it a month, two months? Was it a year? It, it, it was an evolutionary process, but some changes started happening at about the, I don't know, six or eight month mark of our okay. first effort when we were, and, and we had some immediate uh, fires burning that needed to get handled to, to clear the way to um, stabilize the original business and stop some of the bleeding that was going on there. And it, it just wasn't yet optimized for what it mm. could be. He had a lot of great components. It, it was like, well, this, I'm going to say an analogy that nobody today probably understands because it, we, the markets moved away, but Back in my day, if you wanted good sound in your house, you had these giant, pretty expensive components. You had a turntable for the LP albums. You had a receiver that did all the amplification. And then you had independent speakers that 
that were wired together. They weren't Bluetooth, you know, and, and, but it was a big deal. It was a whole market of buying these individual, really expensive components and putting them all together. And, um, there was an art to that and some science. And I often view businesses that way. You've got all these components laying around in your garage and, can you connect them up correctly? Can you load balance and, you know, get your electronics leveled and all that so that you got good, clear sound production out of the system? And uh, uh, that's what we had to do for him. There were, he had like three out of four critical components. We had to sort of go procure or create a fourth one and uh, fill in that gap and then put them all together to harmonize and work well and create a plan for that. Yeah. So. And I think, you know, as you're, as you were saying that, I think one of the important pieces to that is, um, you know, kind of having that intentionality. So he had a vision, he entertained the idea, but he didn't jump on it immediately. But um, something that has helped me a lot uh, is, you know, writing stuff down. Cause even though I thought I remembered a lot of stuff, I started writing stuff down and realized how much I didn't remember, yeah. um, or, or didn't catch myself on, or I would take notes and then read them the following week and realize how petty and unimportant what I was worried about was not even a problem. And yeah. I think the the lesson that I learned from that was if you, if you have some sort of system that lets your subconscious work on that, it will take care of itself. So you said what, six to eight months before he started to get some clarity on that idea. So you, you've planted the seed. You maybe have some things that are going on that, that maybe prop up that idea. Um, but it's not something that you just jump on right away. Now, granted, the more you do stuff, the more you'll get clarity and go that I need to jump on that right away. But I, I found very rarely is that the case. And you kind of let the ideas marinate and some of them will just fall off. You know, I, I, <laughs> Fighter pilots use the analogy of an iceberg and there's only a certain amount of penguins that can sit on my iceberg. So <laughs> you, usually what ends up happening is I will, I will let a boat come by and offload a bunch of penguins and they start breeding. And then I end up having to slaughter a bunch of penguins and kick them off the iceberg. But as I, <laughs> as I get a, a little bit older, you know, the seals are hanging out just offshore cause they know that I tend to overload my iceberg, but I've stopped doing that. And the, the, you know, the population of the penguins is more under control and, and I've learned to go, no, you know, the emperor penguins, they're, they're not for me, you know, this year or, and, and we kind of have this, this better plan, this, and the analogy being I've, I've thought about stuff, right? I don't need to have my own X, Y, Z right now, but I can put it on paper and then my subconscious will see those opportunities as I'm moving through my months and year or whatever during my business. Yeah. And that's saying no to the 99%. Right. And it's not no, never. It's just no right now. And yeah. that's, you know, in sales, marketing, everything. It's if somebody tells you no, well, it's no today, but I'll yeah. come back and ask you tomorrow. Very valuable insight. I tell you what, Dominique, we're up on the clock here. We need to take a quick commercial break and we're going to do that right now. But when we come back, we're going to talk about some more angles on this um uh, vision and, and mindset shift to be the optimum business owner you can be. So hang with us. We'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. 
Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and my guest today is Dominique Tyke. He is a fighter pilot instructor with the Air Force, and uh, we have been talking about sort of the, um, uh, again, in the first half, I apologize for on puns about flying, but I, what came to my mind is we've been talking about the right stuff to be a, a, a business owner. <laughs> and uh, uh, along that line, Dominique, while we were in the green room, we were talking about um, a lot is said about having vision if you're an entrepreneur and doing your right planning. But you have some thoughts about the the dark side of that and some of the challenges that come from, uh, I guess, getting lost in the vision and lost in the plan. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, the, the opposite ends of the spectrum are the uh, over analytical person that it is stuck figuring things out. So they're just the, well, I haven't, I, you know, I've done some research and I've X, Y, Z and I've done this, but there's no they've never taken their plan and put it into action. So that's one side. The other side, um, which I tend to be more close to this side, I'm not all the way on the other side of the spectrum, which is somebody that that literally doesn't plan at all and just gets going. So uh, what's, the, what's the balance? Well, I think it depends on your personality and your team and where you are in your business and your expertise, experience, and all of those different factors. Um, I would say for, for me, um, we had talked about, I think it's the Temple of Apollo, in Greece, and don't quote me on that, but it says no. It's it's scribed in stone. It says know thyself. And for me, as I learned more about myself, as I like to plan enough to get going, because that's how I learn. I learn through action, and I'm willing to run down 20 different trails just to find out those were the wrong trails. As I've grown a little bit um, older and a little bit maybe more wise, as I've started new businesses, is well, what if I can eliminate 15 of those trails so I only run down five? What does that mean I need to do with my planning? And then if I'm the, if I get stuck in analysis paralysis or the figuring circle and I'm, I can't start, then um, that's when I start reaching out to my team to maybe poke holes in my plan. But then I set a date. I go, hey, by this date, I'm going to put the car or I'm going to put the jet, I'm going to go into afterburner and we're taking off. So let's get this thing going um, because it's a huge problem we have, um, I think, worldwide now is that you know, but specifically in the U S is that there's so much knowledge there's, you know, we're in this information age, but that knowledge, if it's not correctly and efficiently applied, meaning taking action, you don't learn. So these kids graduate from college and they have this big fancy degree and they don't have any idea what to do because they don't have any working competencies. They haven't put any of it into action. It's all that the circle has not closed. There are all of these random ideas, um, this knowledge that is, is frankly, it's not helpful until you start applying it. So yeah. I think that's kind of the big thing there is, you know, have a vision. It doesn't need to be completely clear. And um, I think it was Annie Duke. She's a, a poker player. She talked about resulting. So if you, if you have a plan that is so defined that you've defined this vision so perfectly, as soon as you start to get off track a little bit, you think that you've failed. And if you miss that vision, then your whole plan fails versus 
if you start to get off track a little bit and you kind of know know generally the gist of your vision, generally where your business is going, if life pushes you down a different trail, you need to ask yourself, well, was I on the wrong trail in the first place? So maybe I need to readjust fire. Maybe I need to bring a new team member in. Was I, was I on the wrong trail? Maybe somebody else needs to be running on the trail that I was just on. So I think that was the, the big shift is just knowing myself, knowing that I like to, um, I'm the inertia behind getting stuff started the thing that I need to work on myself personally is as I start to get those things going and start, I need to start backfilling the professionals into those positions that can run with that idea. And a lot of times I'm behind, I'm behind what we call the power curve, you know, as I'm getting ready to stall out and I'm trying to backfill people into those positions so that the machine doesn't stop running as we start to pick up momentum. You know, there are a number of things you, you packed into that. And I, I'm a big believer in everything you said. The one that sticks out in my mind on the um, overanalyzing things, a lot of times people that are prone to be perfectionists are also, um, they show up as procrastinators. Hmm. They, they, they're never getting anything done because in their mind that they don't want to launch if it's not perfect. If they haven't figured out all the answers and every angle and the plan is just perfect, they're not going to take that first step of action or, or, you know, jump in the water because, you know, they're, they're holding back, waiting for everything to get perfect. And, and, you know, one of the popular phrases is perfect is the enemy of good you can you can make an effort and deliver a good service or a good product is it a perfect service or a perfect product no probably not you know is there any such thing uh, you know i don't know maybe somewhere in the medical world or in science there is but for most of us um it's not so much about being perfect it's just about being good or really good and um if you think you want to go start a business, but you suffer that part of your personality, you need to get some help from a coach or an advisor or somebody that can help you get rid of some of that head trash that's driving this sense of perfectionism and help you identify the things that can be really darn good and just go do those. I I couldn't agree with you more. I think if, I, I don't know, you know, the perfectionist people are definitely good. Um, there needs to be that, that other person on the team. So if you know that you're one of those people, you need somebody maybe more like me that is, um, action oriented and go, Hey, we have the 80% solution. We're going to get going. We will refine that as we go. And there needs to be a timeline on it because I've found that if I put a timeline on something, a lot of times it's going to get done. And like you said, it may not be perfect. Uh, Very rarely is it perfect, but at least I'm going, the machine's going and I can tweak it along the way. Even I look at, we just, we just re-edited and republished, you know, our single seat wisdom volume one book, because there were some mistakes and stuff that we caught, but had I prevented publishing it in the first place, it would have never been out there for people to read and to, to consume and to see. And I laugh because I look at it now and I look at, I always keep my old versions to remind myself how much I've failed and how much a lot of times when I start something, it really sucks. 
Um, but that's just a reminder that when I start something, it's like, look, people are gonna make fun of me. There's gonna be the naysayers. There's gonna be the, the no people, but they're not doing anything with their life that is uncomfortable. That is, that is out there. They're just, they're just walking that trail. They want their nice, peaceful life. And there's maybe nothing wrong with that for a lot of people. But if you're a business owner, you're an action taker, there's, it's, there's going to be some uncomfortable stuff that goes, but you need to give yourself that timeline. Like, Hey, on this day we're going, this is launch day. Yeah, light the rocket yeah, and hang it. on let's go get there's it. a sense of urgency your 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 comment there about the book i i want to take a quick side detour i i um when i was writing my first book i was seeking a little bit of coaching counsel and i i got a publisher that i got to know and he um he reminded me he said doug they call them bestsellers not best written <laughs> and he said, uh, don't get hung up on, on just the absolute 100% perfection of grammar and wording and yeah. word choice and all of that. He said, yeah, you want to make it, you know, you want it to read intelligently or, or you know, yeah. something, but it don't hold up releasing your book over that kind of perfection uh, because, yeah. uh, they're not called the best written. They're called the best sellers. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody much smarter than me had mentioned one time, and maybe it was a book or a quote or something like that. But think about how many times Microsoft or Apple publishes software that oh. immediately needs a push the next day. Hey, here, download this new software. Oh, we found glitches in it, right? And it was it's never perfect. It's always changing. Yeah. And oh, that yeah. was the same thing that happened to me is I had... 14 years of real estate notes and I had to go seek professional help to have somebody walk me through the steps of getting my book published. And really what it was, I was spending a lot of time interviewing prospective passive investors and taking them to lunch and, and doing all that stuff. And it was a big pain point for me. So I consolidated my notes and I wrote single seat investor. And it's basically a in an hour and a half, somebody could read through it and figure out if they really fit my business profile. And yeah. so it saved me a ton of time and money and it paid itself, you know, back in, you know, thousands of times over. But, and now people know that you're not dabbling. You actually have a legit business because you've written a book, you're published, you're running the business. It saves you time. Um, but to, back to your point, I was stuck. I was just really stuck and it was driving me crazy because I had all this stuff, but I didn't know how to piece it together. And so I had to go, you know, pay somebody and then the sticker shock of that and getting it published. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one last thought, uh, a big theme, I think I want to share with people and we've, we've kind of danced around it and touched on it uh, several times. And that is this, um, this driving force in a lot of entrepreneurs' minds that they have to have their hands in all aspects of the business in this sort of driven control mode. One of the biggest reasons not to do that that I can think of is that for everybody that starts a business, I hope you're out there with some kind of end game in mind you know, am I going to run this business for the rest of my life and then give it to my kids? Okay, fine. Or do I want to build something up that creates a certain level of value and then I can put it up for sale? Well, guess what? If that's part of your plan, the thing you're going to sell needs to be a turnkey machine. 
everything about it needs to be compartmentalized and bundled so that you can, in fact, walk away and the thing still operates, still produces revenues, still produces margin and profit. And that's where the value of a prospective buyer fits in. And if you have to have your fingerprint on everything all day long, guess what? You don't have a saleable business. And uh, you need to you need to reconcile that vision of where you think you want to go and what it is you're doing right now to make things happen and figuring out how to get out of the detail day by day of the business and get it delegated to somebody else or get it systematized, automated, whatever it's going to take. Um, you, you've got to begin making those moves because if you want to exit, you can't stay with the business. You can't keep doing all those things you're doing. Yep. It's the same, you know, in, in, in corporate structures, uh, bureaucracies, just, I mean, the, the military itself, you see the, the type of leaders that need to approve or have their hand in every single little aspect. And what I've seen, my frustration is that within that type of organization, if I'm operating or um, somebody is in a leadership position and they need to approve or micromanage every single little aspect, it turns the entire organization into a yes machine. So you're going to present this, this detailed um, direction of where you think th things should go, but then that person is going to micromanage it, potentially not use that. And so now I've, I've actually been this person where I've spent time doing this and then I go present it. And then what I get told is actually, we're going to do this. And so though maybe passive aggressive, not completely helpful, my personality, I'm like, when they ask me for input, I just go, well, what do you think? And then they say, well, I'm going to do this. And you go, yeah, that sounds good. And you're not even going to fight it because you know that you're not going to be listened to. Yeah. And in, in my businesses, I remember there was a big turning point where I went to, you know, it, and this is back when I was starting my real estate company, the form and the contractor, all that kind of stuff. And I sat down with them either on the phone or in person. I just said, Hey, my personality, I tend to do these things. This is, these are my Achilles heels. I tend to feel like I'm micromanaging upfront or I'm very hands-on in control. However, I cannot wait to hand you the ball so you can run with it. So help me do that. And these are some of my things that I, you know, do that are not super helpful. So when you hear me saying these things, I'm actually, when I'm asking you questions, I'm just wanting, I'm learning. That's how I learn. So I need you to feed me that information. And then I want, I want you to be able to make these decisions on your own and letting that go. And then realizing it's not going to be perfect. You don't, perfection does not mean that your business is a failure. It just means that you're learning along the way and yeah. debrief, debrief that person, debrief yourself. Most of the times, Doug, what I found is it was me. It was my personality. I got in the way of that person trying to make the decision. So if I had I just removed myself, maybe that person would have come to a different realization. And that was a tough pill to swallow for me because that requires a little bit of humility and the ability to say, I suck and I'll do better next time. I'll get out of your way. I agree totally. <laughs> and, and that's great wisdom. Obviously, you've had the experience of... Uh, doing it the other way and, and, and 
sounds like learn the hard way what is a better solution. So, um, Dominic, I think we're about on time for today. So, uh, thank you so much for your contributions and, and all your insights here. It was great stuff, man. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate your time and I'm grateful for you having me on your show. Yeah. If uh, folks want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Yep. So right now our, our main push is, is propping up the single seat mindset company. Um, we give all the, the profits to a children's cancer nonprofit. So it really um, is a very purposeful mission for us and they can find us at singleseatmindset.com. Oh, like single it. seat fighter pilots is in like one seat, all S's singleseatmindset.com. Yeah. Okay. Well, folks, we'll have that information in the show notes here and uh, check it out. And uh, also uh, check out Dominic's books. I, I, they're on Amazon. Is that right? Um, th that singleseatmindset.com yeah. um, website, it has everything. All the links. Okay, good. Yep. Good. Well, again, folks, we'll have all that in the show notes. One last time, Dominic, thank you much, man, for being with us. Thanks, Doug. It was a pleasure. I do uh, want to remind everybody that we have a video version of this show over on YouTube, a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Uh, hop over there, take a look, and uh, uh, everything we've talked about from a reference point standpoint will be in the show notes here. If you're on uh, YouTube, leave us a comment, uh, subscribe. You'll get notes about our upcoming episodes. We are dropping shows three times a week. So we got a lot coming at you, a lot of content. We'd love to get your feedback and ideas for new topics, new shows. But for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and hope you make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.